Well, morning. Lots of familiar faces, a few new ones, and a few new ones that are becoming more and more familiar, which is really exciting. Um, you know, as I was preparing for today, I was, I was reminded of uh, a situation, probably, I think it was 2013. I was down in Talbot, I was working on my doctorate down there, and um, the, the whole area of interest for me is discipleship, spiritual formation. The whole question that seemed to be the, the heartbeat of my Christian journey has been, what's the best way to help someone encounter Jesus and grow in their faith and reach out to the world around about them? And so I really, from the moment I came to faith, like I've been obsessed with, how do you do discipleship? How do you do spiritual formation? How do you change people to look just like Jesus? And so I end up signing up to do this course down at Talbot. That's all, it was called Discipleship for the 21st Century. And the subtitle was like Discipleship, Spiritual Formation, and Soul Care. And I'm thinking, this is my jam. And so every year, uh, the pattern was similar. So right, end of January, beginning of February, they'd send us the syllabus. There'd be a ridiculous number of books that we'd have to read. Um, And then there were a bunch of papers that we had to write. And then it was a distance thing. So I'm living in the UK at the time. And so I would travel over in June for two weeks of intensive classes. Um, And so you'd do all this reading, you'd write all these assignments, you hand them in the first day of class, you'd have two weeks of discussions around the contents, the book authors are coming in, we're having arguments with scholars, it was great fun, and then we'd get done and afterwards they'd send us a second syllabus that would last kind of the post-residency that was all the applications. So the the first syllabus was all of these like things that you had to learn, books you had to read, the theology, the the practice, all the intellectual academic stuff. And then afterwards was all, how do you practice this and how do you live it out? So each time there would always be this personal reflection assignment. And so I remember the very first one was super simple. So one of the assignments was reflect on your own experience of discipleship to Jesus. So what's discipleship looked like in your life? How would you define it? How do you teach it? And just kind of reflect on your own journey. And then afterwards, in the post-residency assignment, they said, here's the assignment now. What's changed as a result of this first year um, of studying? And so I remember uh, being very excited. I'm like, I'm the discipleship dude. So my pre-residency assignment, as I'm reflecting, I'm like, I'm amazing. Look at all the stuff I do, all these things I teach. Like, I, I know discipleship. And then afterwards, we get to this point where I'm given this assignment to reflect on what's changed over the course of the year. Um, of studying discipleship intensely. And this is what changed. I wrote down, I've been so focused on trying to help people figure out how to do discipleship information well that I've forgotten it's all about Jesus. I'm so busy trying to figure out the right form of discipleship, the right way to do church, whether it's church planting, whether it's revitalizing, whether it's hearing from God, whether it's practicing historic disciplines. I'm so fixated on the form that gets someone to grow in their faith that I've lost sight of who it's about. And here's the thing. I hadn't lost sight of who it's about, but I'd lost sight of who it's about. And I remember writing this paper and and in my journal, grabbing my journal and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so fixated on a form that my intimacy with you is lacking. Um, And I think in the Western world in particular, I think that's an easy place to be. Especially if you've walked with Jesus a long time, you go through all of the, how do we do what God's calling us to do? How do we shape the church? How do you reach out to the community? How do we inspire and bring about revival in our city? And we can do all of that 
with our eyes off of him. Um, so we got to get our eyes back to the center. So for those of you who, who don't know what we're doing, we are in a series where we're looking at the prayers of Paul. And part of why we're doing this is in this new season of this church, as we're looking at what God wants to birth here, part of what we're doing is we're saying, who's the church supposed to be? And so we're looking at Paul's uh, prayers one at a time and asking the question, okay, how are we supposed to pray for the church? Because he instructs us on that. But then what's the vision in these prayers for who the church is going to be? So this morning, we're going to look at one of the prayers in Ephesians. It's, this is Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and we're going to look at what is one of my favorite prayers. Um, I love this prayer and, and what it means for who we're supposed to be as a church. So let's start um, by reading this scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Are we going to whoop like, woo? <laughs> That's like such a powerful prayer. If, if all we did for the rest of our existence as a church was pray this prayer over ourselves, over this church, and over this community, Portland would be changed. Um. So we're going we're gonna to break this, this down and we're going to ask, how do we use this prayer to pray for our church? How do we use it to pray for Portland? Um, so, so the first part, the overarching prayer that everything else is going to flow from is this. This is what we're going to pray. Pray that we would know God deeply. And again, this is, not, this is not complicated. This is Bible 101. I'm just telling you what it says in the passage. <clears throat> pray that we would know <clears throat> God deeply. So I want to start with the question. How is your affection for the Lord right now? Is it fiery? Are you hungering for intimacy with him? Are you enjoying your time with him? Are you, are you hungering to be in his word to engage him? Do you thirst for those moments of prayer where you can connect with him? Or are we just going through the motions doing the good things that he asks with our heart in the right place, but we've lost sight of the fact our heart is supposed to be on him. Um, as Paul's praying this prayer, this is a prayer for a depth of intimacy. Pray that you would have these things so that you would know him better. This is the whole point of our faith. It's this journey of knowing God better. So where are you in that process? Fiery hot, a little cold, little in the middle. Um, we want to be a church that's marked by this deep, 
an intimate love for him. This is, I, I, I used to say this all the time, and I do say all the time when I'm in conversations with people. I wish, you know, when your, your battery's dead and you need your jump leads, I wish I had spiritual jump leads and I could just attach them right here. And then I could grab the jump leads and I could just, I wish I could walk up to you and I could attach them to you and let you feel what I feel for Jesus. Do you have that, like, as I talk, I have that burning, that yearning in here for more of him. And I, I, and I, I swear, if I had those jump leads, if I walked to, up to someone that didn't know Jesus, if they could feel this, they would never look back. Is your faith in Jesus fiery? Are you hungry? Are you taking that jump lead and connecting it to people and causing them to hunger and thirst and yearn for his presence and experience all the grace and the joy and the satisfaction that comes from that? That's my prayer for this church, that we would be a church that knows him deeply and not just an intellectual knowledge, but that deep, heartfelt passion for our Savior. So, that's the simple part. <laughs> the rest of the prayer is him explaining how this happens. Um, and I wanted to start there because that's not the first statement that he makes. Um, but that's the part that centers everything else in this prayer. It's a prayer that we would know God deeply. But how does it come about? There's two things in here that he's going to explain as the way that we come to know him most fully. So here's the second thing we're going to be praying. Ask God for this spirit of wisdom and revelation. So this is Paul's prayer. I pray and I'm asking God that you would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'd know him better. So for your own life, for this church, for this world round about us, we want this spirit who is doing his revealing work in our lives. You know, we just sang that, that hymn, Blessed Assurance. And obviously this is going through my mind as we're, as, we're, as we're singing. And I just see that beautiful line. Angels descending, bringing from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation at work in our life. Angelic sources, supernatural revelation whispered into our heart from above. I want that, and I want that for our church, and I want that for Hillsborough, and I want that for Portland, and I want that for India. I want that for this world. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, you know, if you just read <clears throat> the white underneath, simple Bible study, you can just stop at the right point. I keep asking that God may give you the spirit. We don't need the rest of it. This is a prayer for us to be filled with the Spirit. I was talking with a gentleman the other day who I don't know him yet, but he does ministry in the same place in India that I go to. And so we're talking, and he, he was just saying, are you a Spirit-filled person? Is your church a Spirit-filled church? And I'm like, great that you're asking that because that's what we're going to be praying this week. Paul's praying that we would be given the spirit and, and and how does he define the spirit the spirit of wisdom and revelation what's wisdom wisdom is not just knowledge but it's knowledge that's applied and tested 
And we know because of Corinthians that this is not just earthly wisdom. This is not just a life well lived. This is supernatural, spiritual wisdom bestowed by God. This is people who are young, knowing supernaturally. They're supernaturally wise. This is young people with a knowledge beyond their years, with a wisdom given by God through Scripture to be able to answer questions and problems of people around about them with a source that they don't know where it comes from because it's given by God. The spirit of revelation. What's revelation? The, the word apocalypsis, it's the word we get the, the book, Bible name revelation, the book of revelation. It is something that's covered up and then you rip the cover off so that you can see what's underneath. It points in scripture, that word is used to refer to nakedness. It's like a literal uncovering to expose what's underneath. So what's the spirit of revelation? This is the hidden heart of God. It's been hidden for ages. It's been revealed in Jesus. This is the spirit who's uncovering the truths about God for us to see. Do you want that? I'm like, I'm looking at the eyes going like, uh, 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 are you with me? Are you with me? Do you want that? The spirit of wisdom, revelation, revealing the heart of God, revealing the secret things that God has for us to know. Why? So that we'd know him better. This is not God revealing things to us so that we can stand up here and look awesome. It's not God revealing things to us so that we can walk up to people and say, you know, God communicates with me and I've got this amazing word. Look how amazing I am. But this is God revealing his truth to us to lead us into a place of deeper intimacy with him. Um, I had lunch a couple of days ago, not lunch, I stopped by for coffee um, with Terry and Becky Wilbright the other day. And as we were talking, they were, they, they were just saying, you know, we've been married, what is it, 40-ish years? I can't remember the number, 37, 45. Longer than I've been alive, so it's awesome. <laughs> but, but, but Terry made this comment at one point, and he said, you know, but I still have these moments where Becky will say something or do something, and, and I'm surprised. And I'm like, I didn't know that about you. Like, and, and I could see the excitement on his face as he's talking about this new revelation about this woman that he's walked with his whole life. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we'd have those moments where we're surprised by what God is doing and what he's saying. Those little moments where he reveals something new about his character, about his action, about his activity. And, and you just light up inside with a new enthusiasm for who he is. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we're praying for, that God would be uncovering the things going on in our heart. When it comes to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, here's the deal. We know God by looking at Jesus. We know Jesus by listening to the spirit. So scripture is really clear that Jesus is the revelation of God. So you want to know God better, look at Jesus, right? We're, We're all in agreement. We all get that part. Uh, you want to know G- God fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And, and there's loads of great scriptures that, that allude to that. But John 15, uh, John 14, verse 9, Jesus is talking, anyone uh, who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you're looking Jesus in the face, if you're reading through the Gospels, if you're spotting them all through Scripture, and if you're seeing Jesus in the life of someone around you, in the eyes of someone that he's created, as you see Jesus, you know the Father. So Jesus is revealing the Father to us. We know God by looking at Jesus, but we know Jesus by listening to the Spirit. So what does he say? 
um, in John's gospel when he's talking about the work of the Spirit. John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said. So what's he doing? He's pointing us to Jesus. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So you want to know Jesus, you've got to listen to the Spirit. Because what's he doing? He's reminding us of everything that Jesus has said, and he's testifying to who Jesus is. So what's the spirit of wisdom and revelation? It's the spirit pointing us to Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? Jesus is revealing the Father to us, this Father of glory. So this is, I I love Paul in Ephesians. He's so Trinitarian in this book. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we're in relationship with. God sending the Son, God and the Son sending the Spirit, the Spirit point to the Son, the Son point to the Father, and everyone just happy to be celebrating one another. So the prayer request that we would know God deeply. Part one of that is that God gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to show us who God is. So God is pouring out something into us for us to be able to understand the Lord. But the second part of it is that God is doing something in us to make us responsive to what that is. So he says, so so the second part of this prayer request, ask God to enlighten the eyes of your heart. So God is the one pouring out the revelation and God is the one opening our heart ready to receive it. Isn't it fun that we just get to sit back and enjoy it? (laughs) What's our role in that? Our role in that is just to be responsive. Our role is just to be attuned to what he wants to reveal. Our job is to stop resisting the enlightening work that he wants to do in our heart. I, I, I love the image here. The eyes of your heart. Um, I don't know if you know, but you don't actually have eyes on your heart. Okay? Just, just, <laughs> just in case you were uncertain. Um, but this image, imagine your, uh, your heart has eyes. Where are they looking? This is an image of, of God turning the eyes of your heart to be fixed on him to be fixed on the revelation that the Spirit is giving us. But quite often we live in the world and we close our eyes. Um, Quite often God is trying to communicate. You know, God is working constantly. He's in constant communication with us. If in doubt, read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Like day after day they're pouring forth speech. Um, God, and then beyond that, God is constantly communicating with his kids. Are we attuned to them? And part of that is our eyes, the eyes of our heart need to be turned on to him. So this prayer, ask God to lighten the eyes of your heart. This is, this is an interesting little part in the prayer because the word enlighten is, is in the present tense. So if you remember back to your grammar days at school, present tense means it's something that happened in the past that has an ongoing consequence. So this isn't that you're going to ask God for the first time to enlighten your heart. What he's saying is, I pray that God's going to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you'll know him better because your heart was enlightened the moment you put your faith in him. But you need his ongoing enlightening work to be moving in you if you want to continue to grow in a deeper relationship with him. Um, And so we, we know in these passages, he's not saying this is a prayer for us as the church to suddenly receive the spirit. Because he spent all of chapter 1 up to this point talking about chosen, 
purchased by the Son, sealed by the Spirit, so we've got it. So this is him talking about this ongoing work that the Spirit is doing in us to attune us to the voice of God so that we're attentive, receptive, and then able to do the things that God wants us to do in the world. Because here's part of the problem in the Western church. We have a whole bunch of knowledge about what the Bible says. We have a whole bunch of habit about what it looks like to be in the church. And we have a whole bunch of assumptions about what it looks like to live that out in the world around about us. So we go out into the world trying to share the gospel with people in a way that we learned 40 years ago, um, in a pattern that doesn't work in the world very much anymore. And we're going, why is this not working? Because God is trying to reveal. God is trying to speak. I've said this every week. We need to walk in the world in a way that we're attentive to what he's already doing. And rather than, God, I'm going to go do this. Now would you come and bless me? God, you're at work there. I want to come join you. I want to be where you are. I want to be working on the things that you're working on. So our prayer that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Um, I, I, did a, I did a prayer retreat um, is it three years ago now? And it was pretty fun and pretty intense and one of the most life-changing experiences I had. But it was a nine-month retreat. And it involved a, a, a retreat day once a month, meeting with a spiritual director twice a month, and a commitment to pray for an hour a day around the topics that they assigned me for nine months. Um, and you spend like basically the first half of it looking at how sinful you are. And as much as that's horrible, it was really, really fruitful. I remember in, in the middle of this retreat, there was an exercise we were given to go out and, and sit. And, and just, they said, just open yourself up to the Lord. So just sit and reflect on the fact that God is looking down on you and just open yourself up to him. And I'm like, okay, that's like hokey pokey language. Great. Um, and so I'm sitting out front and I remember it was this beautiful sunny day and I was sitting on a table outside. It was cold. So I had my jacket on, but it was sunny. Um, and I remember sitting there, and, I, and I'm just trying to focus myself. And I remember sitting with my eyes closed. And as I'm sitting, I'm like, God, you're, you're like looking at me right now. You're like watching over me. And then beautifully, you're sitting there in the sun, and the sun's on your back. And I could just feel my back start to get warm. And I'm like, ah, like God's shining down on me. Like God's looking at me. He's watching me, and I could feel it. And, and as I'm thinking and I'm praying, I'm like, what is, how, how do you open up? And I remember looking at beautiful gardens. I remember looking at this flower in front of me. And I was thinking, man, okay, if that, like, it was closed. It was like a rose that was, that was closed over. And I was like, if that really wants the fullness of that sun, it needs to, like, open up. And I was like, and, and so I'm picturing inside. I'm like, if, that, if my heart was that this sounds so cheesy as a dude, sorry. Um, if my heart is a flower, that it would open up. But, but this was a really impactful moment for me. But I was just like, I was picturing this rosebud and I was just like, God, I want to be, I don't want to be closed because that flower isn't getting your, it's not getting as much of the sun as it could be. I was like, I want to open up and I want, I want that to be open inside of me uh, so that I'm absorbing as much light as you possibly can. And then I had this revelation. I said, like, oh my goodness, when Jesus walked through the earth, he was permanently open. I was like, I'm sitting here going, sometimes I'm closed because I'm in a bad mood. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't like this song. Uh, I had an argument with someone on the way in. Someone cut me off. Oh, I've got too much work to do. I was like, Jesus never like closed. He lived in this earth like permanently open to the Father, permanently receiving his revelation. 
And I was like, man, I want to learn to live like that, where my heart is permanently open to him. The, the other image that, that fits with this, enlightening the eyes of your heart, I want you to picture a dark room. Your heart is a dark room with a door. And God wants to enlighten your heart. If you look at this, you, you know that, that moment where you open the door, especially when you're trying not to wake someone else up that's in the room, and you open the door and like the light outside is on and it just kind of floods the room, but that like just the little eeking of the door and all of a sudden there's too much light, but you throw that door open and it's just light. The question is, when it comes to God enlightening your heart, when it comes to receiving the revelation that he wants to communicate to you, where's the door? Is it shut? so that you're not able to receive from him? Or are you like eking that door open with the little squeaky hinges? (laughs) Asking him to enlighten you and fill you with the revelation. And, And I love this image because it shows our part. God is pouring out revelation. God is enlightening our heart, but we've got some work to do to open that door to allow his revelation to flood us. A, so that we can know him better. B, so that we'll be transformed to look more like Jesus. C, so that we can carry all of that out into the world. D, all of the above, you know. That's what he wants to do is to fill us so that we can carry it into the world around about us. The rest of Paul's prayer, like, I think that's amazing. The rest of Paul's prayer is the part that just, I get really excited and it makes me get crazy because he wants to explain the three areas of our life for right now we need to experience this enlightening work so god wants to give us wisdom and revelation he wants to enlighten the eyes of our heart but what does he want us to know what do we need to pray that we walk in so the first of these is pray that we would know the hope to which we've been called so you can look at these these words this is really a reflection it's the word hope but this is really a reflection on the past because he's referring back to the work that he's been talking about at the beginning of the letter, the, the moment that you were called and the hope that you experienced in salvation. When you accepted the truth from God that Jesus died for your sins, was raised to the right hand of the Father, the kingdom broke into the world, and now we get to carry that kingdom and, and expand it over the face of the, the earth in partnership with him. So this is a past work that he's done in us. We've experienced the change. We know the joy. We've experienced the thrill of hearing from him, of walking with him, of being used by him. Um, and so this is, this is the hope that he wants us to know. We need the Spirit to be reminding us and revealing this hope to which we're called. Now, it's something that happened in the past, but this has future implications. The hope of what he's going to do, the confidence that we have that everything that he's promised is going to be happening. And you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I look at the world right now and it's easy to get a little bit disheartened. There's just a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in Portland. So we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need God enlightening our hearts to keep our hope fresh. We need, as Christians, to be able to look at brokenness in the world and receive revelation from God that says, this is not the way I intended it to be. More than that, we need to be able to look at the brokenness of the world, receive the revelation from God that says, this is how I intend to use you to help fix that brokenness. Uh, we, we need this enlightenment of the hope that we have and what it looks like. 
You know, Ephesians 1, I alluded to this earlier. It says in Ephesians 1, what is this hope? It says that we were chosen in God before the foundation of the world to be spotless and blameless in his sight, to the praise of his glorious grace. It says we were purchased by the blood of Christ. We were redeemed by him. And then we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what is he? He's a deposit guaranteeing the good things that are to come. So this hope is the fact that we've been chosen, we've been redeemed, and that we've been sealed. And that in that place, God is pouring his spirit through us and carrying us as bearers of his kingdom into the world round about us. So let's pray that God would enlighten our understanding of hope and refire up our excitement for the work that he did for us in the past, that he does for us every day, and that he's going to continue to do in us as we move forward. The second thing he wants us to be enlightened in is that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, this is, this is an interesting phrase because in Greek it's ambiguous. So some people, if you read them talking about this, they're going to talk about knowing the riches of his inheritance is this, what are all the things that God has for us? So what are all the riches? And, and Ephesians 1 talks about like, you know, we're in the heavenlies with God. We've got every spiritual blessing given to us. So some people read this and they say, this is every spiritual blessing. All of those riches, all the stuff that God wants to do in and through us now, and all of the promises for what our etern- eternal state with him looks like. So that's one way that you can understand this. And, and we'll pray that over our church because that's at the beginning of the letter and I'll take that. <laughs> I want us to have all the riches of Christ evident in our life, understanding who we are and, 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 and what we've been given to walk in this world with. But actually, um, what this is saying and, and how we need to understand this, what's the most likely way, thing that this means is that we would know the riches of his inheritance. And who's his inheritance? The church. So what he's saying here is that you would know the riches of his inheritance, and we are his inheritance. You know, when we think of inheritance, you think of someone dying and leaving you a whole bunch of money. And we all hope for it. We all hope there's some king or prince in our line that we didn't know about, and one day we're going to get the letter that, oh, you're descended from this king, and there's this palace waiting for you somewhere in Europe, hopefully near a beach. Um, But this is how God actually views us. God looks at us and sees us as his inheritance. So think of whatever emotion you have thinking about inheriting something. This is God's view towards us, just to prove it, (laughs) because you you, you like me to prove it. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. This this comes up multiple times through scripture. This is God speaking. You are a holy people to the Lord. Or Moses speaking. God speaking through Moses. You are a holy people um, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God chose you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. We, as the people of God, are his treasured possession. We are the inheritance that he is anticipating at the end. Didn't that flip it for you? We think about what we're going to get when we get there. He's excited for what he's going to get when he gets us in our full, redeemed, sinless, glorified form in unhindered relationship with him. Christ and the church in intimate union the way God designed it to be. 
So pray that we would know that identity. What's that identity? It's us as his beloved. It's how much he treasures us, even with all of our brokenness. And you all know your brokenness. (laughs) You all know the ways you fall short. You all know the ways the enemy accuses. You all know the guilt that you wrestle with. In spite of all that, God is looking at you as his beloved. He's looking at you as the thing that he's desperate to receive at the end, that he will inherit you. Now, it doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, God is looking at you and going, one day I'm going to inherit that person to be mine, and there'll be nothing in the way of that relationship, and I'll have everything that I hoped for, dreamed of, and planned when I set creation in motion. Um. And so I said the first one, pray that we would understand the hope is, is looking back on the past. This one is looking ahead to the future. It's, it's that day at the end where we get to, First John, we get to see Jesus face to face and we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. But I love that picture. One day we're going to look Jesus in the eye and we're going to be instantly transformed and we're going to be just like him. And we're going to be able to experience whatever joy I experience now, whatever I want to zap you with, like this is only a shadow of what it's going to be um, that we get to experience in the future. So that's two. The third one, pray that we would know his power that's available to us. And he actually says his incomparably great power. In, in, in the UK, we pronounce that incomparably. So it's really weird trying to say it the other way, incomparably. Um, and this, I mean, this is him just, that's, he's laying out these three things, but the, like, that's like this much space in your Bible, and then this much space is him explaining this last one. So the hope was looking back on the past. The inheritance is looking forward to the future, the power. He's talking about what's available to us right now. So he's saying, pray that your heart would be open to understand the power that God has made available to you right now. So let's, let's look and see what he says this power looks like. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that's to be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed everything under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for us. I'm like, that's, that's done for us, who is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Now, notice he's not saying for us, for the world. Like, that's part of it, but this is for us. This is like this gift that's available to us now. So I, I want to break this down because this, if, if you're a wordy person like me, this gets really, really fun. So, In this sentence, he is using, heaping one after another, four synonyms for the word power. So he could use one word and just leave it there, but he decides to take basically every synonym that he's got and and throw them all together in the sentence. So so if you can see it up there, in order that you may know his great power, dunamis, for us who believe that power, energia, where we get the word energy, is the same as the mighty kratos, strength, iskis, that he exerted, and back to energeo, and when he raised Christ from the dead. So here's what these words mean. So dunamis is talking about potential, cap- like potential power, the capability that God has. So this is raw potential. 
So the power that he's talking about, this power is this raw potential that God has and his capability to do something. And when he's using the word energia, this is energy in action. So like I say, this is the word where we get energy and this is like it's implemented. Um, Kratos is tied to the idea of ruling. So this is like the power you have by nature of being an authority. Um, so when you're given a title, when you're given a position, that authority and the power that comes with that, um, or you can call it your resident strength, it's, it resides in the role of the office that you have. And then iscus, which is like really, it's, it's an exceeding capability. It's not just capability, but this is like an excessive capability to be able to function effectively. So like when Paul is using these words, let me just start here. This is fun for me. Hopefully it's fun for you. But um, He's not making a distinction between these words. So we're not going to look at the, the thing and be like, so in this, when he's using this word, in this part of the sentence, he means this. And when he uses it in this part of the sentence, he means that. That's not what he's doing. He's just lumping all of these words for power together to help us to see how mighty this power is that's available to us. So let's put these little things back in, 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 in the sentence just for fun. So he wants you to know his incomparably great potential and capability to do what he said that's for us. That power in action is the same as all the authoritative power affectionately, effectively functioning as he puts it in action when he raises Jesus from the dead. So, like, so, so let, let's put it back into English. This is what it sounds like in English. If, if Paul was just speaking, well, well, I guess we could use lots of words like they do there, but essentially he's saying, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know the power of the power of the power of his power. Right? So when someone says to you, you might be overemphasizing the power of God, <laughs> you, can, you can just send them to this verse and say, no, no Paul like, wants us to know the power of the power of his power. Um, and so I, I think that's awesome. But he's, he's like, he's making a point. He's throwing in all these synonyms because he wants us to understand that it doesn't matter what type of power we're talking about. God is exerting it and making it available to us now. Do you feel like you're experiencing that in your life? When you're looking at besetting sin, are you experiencing the power of the power of his power in your life? When you're trying to share the gospel with someone, are you confident of the power of the power of his power in your life? Because the beauty of what he's saying here is we need revelation from God. We need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened and all of that so that we can understand the extent of the power that's available. And what was the power? How did he demonstrate it? He said, let me remind you of what he did and what dwells inside of you. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we're Christians, so that's jargon. We're so used to saying it, but like, remember, Jesus was dead. Think of someone you know that's dead. And they were raised to life. Like, this is victory over death. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he died again. Jesus was raised from the dead, and, and he, he's alive. There's no second death for him and then a resurrection later. This was defeat of death. Raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand, which is an image of power and authority and the status that Jesus has been given as the one who's at the right hand of the Father, implementing his will, authorized to rule. 
So he's raised, he's seated. Um, and, and where has he been seated? Far above every rule, authority, power, and dominion. So he did four funny things with the words for power. Now he's doing four funny things for the words for rulers. And, and if you look at other books that Paul's writing, if you look at Ephesians 6, he's using this language. He's talking angelic and demonic entities. Now, he can also be talking about earthly power and earthly rulers, because behind all earthly rulers are heavenly spiritual forces. Because our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities, and the heavenlies. So he can be talking about both here, but the emphasis he's given is this angelic domain. Um, that he's been seated over everything, every ruler, authority, power, dominion, not just that, but any name that will be named, any name that will be invoked. Another way you could say that is any person given a title. In this world or in the heavenly realm, any president, any prime minister, any ruler, any dictator, he's been placed over all of those. And I think we forget that because we struggle with our gossip and we struggle with our lust and we struggle with our greed. And so it's like, oh, God's not been placed over those. But yeah, he has. <laughs> Jesus is over those and he's over everything. It's just, uh, this is amazing. Um, uh, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this is not just a promise for today. This is a promise ongoing for us through the end of our life, for the generations coming after us right up till Jesus returns, and then he's still in that spot. Um, God placed, not only is he placed over everything, but then God places everything under him. So Jesus has been elevated, and you know this, when you're given a job and you're given a title, people don't automatically respect you. And sometimes you're given the title and you're trying to do your job and people are not letting you do it. Well, in this instance, Jesus has been given the job, but then everyone else has been subjected to him. So, so there's no fight here. There's no battle. The, the, outcome, it, the, the outcome is clear. All things have been placed under his feet. And then he was appointed to be the head of the church. Our head. Think about your relationship to your head. It's kind of important. <laughs> Try and live your life without your head attached to your body. It doesn't work. <laughs> so he's the head that is governing, that is shaping, that is dictating, that is directing, that is holding everything in harmony and make sure it's all functioning the way it intends to be. So this is the power. Right now, inside of you is the power that raised Jesus in the dead, was able to see him over every spiritual and physical entity that exists, able to take every angelic and demonic power and sit it underneath him, and then make him the head of a body that is spread across 2,000 years of history. Well, longer if you count his work at the beginning all the way through to Adam and Eve, but thousands of years of history multiple countries around the world and he holds it all together this is the power that's inside of you and that you carry with you as you walk out of these doors this is the power that laces your words as you speak words of life or death to each other this is the power that as you offer a word of comfort or encouragement to someone comes out through your mouth and into their heart and this is the power that is for us and it's in us. And then we get to bear this to the people around about us. So <laughs> that's pretty rad, right? 
I think that's pretty awesome. This is what I want for our church. What do I want us to be? I want us to be a church that's marked by deepening knowledge of God. A church that is experiencing the spirit of wisdom and revelation, whispering that love truth from God into our hearts. I want us to be a church that is being enlightened, that we are opening that door in our heart to allow his love to flood and change us. I want us to understand the hope that we have, the identity that we have, what he called us out of, what he's called us to, the inheritance that we have, all of the gifts and blessings that are available to us, but more than that, that he is looking at us and longing for the day that he inherits us spotless and blameless with nothing standing in the way of our relationship with him. And I want us to know the power, the power that is available, that is inside of us, that can bring resurrection from the dead in your life that can bring freedom from besetting sins, that can carry your words of hope into someone's life and rescue them from the dominion of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is the power that we have and this is the power that we manifest as we come together to worship and it's the power that we carry with us into the world around about us. So as I started, If we can see this prayer, if we can pray this over our lives, over our church, and over our community, we will not remain the same. Our church will not remain the same. Hillsborough will not remain the same. And this world will be changed. Um, So here's what we're going to (laughs) do. We're going to take communion. um, to, To finish up, we like to take communion the first Sunday of the month. And so I want us, with all of this backdrop, to take communion. Um, and then we've been doing homework. So kids, I'm sorry you get some homework this week. It's actually really fun. Uh, <laughs> so um, there are little cards on the table that have the prayer. So take the prayer away. And my invitation is spend this week praying this over your life. Um, pray, pray it for you. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your church. Um, pray it for this city. And then take time to evaluate your own heart and the stuff that we're talking about. Where do you get excited? Where do you find that resonance that gets you excited about what we're saying? Where do you feel the resistance or the fear or the doubt? Or where does your life not line up with the truth being being expressed? And then we'll do some work um, and and how we change those things to line them up with Scripture. So that's the homework. And and so what I want us to do, we're going to take communion. And then I would like us to just pray together at our tables. If you're at a table on your own, it would be great if you could join with someone else. And I just want you to pray this over each other uh, and then over our church, but all in the context of of communion. So we're going to take communion first and then pray. And why? What's communion? It's the remembrance of the work that he did when he died as the precursor to everything we've just talked about, being raised and seated with everything subjected and then appointed as the head. And so as we take communion, this is an opportunity to say, God, enlighten the eyes of my heart to experience revelation of you in communion. This is his body, which was broken for us. This is his blood, which was poured out for us. And what are we to do? We're to do it in remembrance of him. So we don't take communion just because it's dictated to us. This is an opportunity to have an intimate moment with the Lord. Um, I've a couple of years ago, I was at a conference and there was a, 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 a former uh, priest administering communion and he, and he made this comment that was really insightful to me. And he said, you know, um, when you take communion, you've got the body and you've got the blood. And he said, whenever you have a body without the blood, you're dead. 
And he's like, but something happens when you take the body and the blood and you put them in your mouth. They come together again. And it's, he's like, it's a little mini resurrection that happens as you take the elements. And it happens inside of us as like a foretaste of what it is that God wants to do in us. So, so let's take communion. They'll, they'll play a little bit of music in the background. Um, let's allow this to be a moment of intimacy with the Lord. And then let's take this passage and pray over each other. Um, and then we'll finish with a song.